So we are in week two of our study through the book of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. He was a messenger of God who lived around 800 years before Jesus came to the earth as a man. And last week we worked our way through chapter one in which God called Jonah to go and tell the Ninevites to repent, to turn from their evil ways and to follow him. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the dominant empire in the world at that time. And the Assyrians were famed for being evil, sadistic, violent, and cruel. Not only did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh for obvious reasons, he also didn't want to go because he hated the idea that God would choose to show mercy to people like the Ninevites. And so Jonah boarded a ship that was headed in the opposite direction, and he fled from God. But the Lord sent a storm, and the end result was Jonah being tossed overboard when it was revealed that his rebellion against the Lord was the cause of the terrible storm. And as he disappeared under the waves, the storm ceased, and we read in the final verse of chapter 1, it's on your outlines, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. If you don't have it underlined, make sure you underline three days and three nights. We talked last week about the reasons we believe you should take the story of Jonah literally. We're not going to cover that content again. If you missed it, listen online. It's important. But Jonah finds himself now inside a great fish. Could be a whale, could be a fish, we don't know. For starters, it would have been pitch black, absolutely pitch black. It would have been cramped. He would have probably been in something like the fetal position, feeling the membranes of the stomach of this animal all around him. It would have smelled awful as fish and other things were digesting in the stomach acids around him. It would have been wet. There would have been several inches to perhaps a foot of water inside there as well. And if it was a whale, a mammal of some kind, the typical body temperature would be around 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. It would have been possibly even hotter as things were digesting around him. It would have been incredibly warm and uncomfortable as well. The best way to describe Jonah's circumstances would be to say that it would have been a worse version of being buried alive. So let's start by understanding that and having that mental image as we imagine what he was like. He wasn't sitting, thinking in a comfortable, pleasant environment about what he was going to do. He was in a buried alive type condition inside this great fish. Chapter 2, verse 1, we read, Then, underline the word then, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. You see, we read this and, and we forget the previous verse because we imagine that Jonah would have prayed this prayer pretty quickly because we're all thinking, you know, if I was swallowed by a great fish, it would not take me very long to start praying very intensely. But Jonah didn't pray right away. He didn't cry out to God right away. How long did it take before Jonah cried out to the Lord? Remember, last verse of chapter 1 we just read, three days and three nights. That's how much time passes before we reach verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, why in the world would Jonah spend that long inside the belly of this great fish before crying out to the Lord in prayer? 
I heard one pastor share it was because Jonah was so contrite that he, he didn't believe God would listen or help him. He felt too unworthy, and, and that's possible. But when we get to chapters 3 and 4 and we see Jonah's actions, that doesn't seem to be what's, what's really happened in his heart, in my opinion. I think the most likely explanation is that Jonah was just flat-out stubborn. He's just stubborn. You know, it's amazing. The same hot water that hardens the egg softens the potato. When the Lord turns up the heat in our lives, some of us soften and some of us harden as a first response. We get better or we get bitter. And sometimes we harden, get bitter, and then we soften and get better. But for three days inside the great fish, Jonah was most likely hardened and bitter. So write this down. We decide whether the discipline of the Lord hardens or softens our hearts. We decide whether the discipline of the Lord hardens or softens our hearts. But we usually only respond one of those two ways. You see, the sad truth is that a lot of us will not turn back to the Lord until things get really, really bad. We get deceived by sin into thinking that it's not doing any real damage. We become experts at tuning out the conviction of the Holy Spirit until eventually we can't even hear him anymore. And we dismiss all the little hints along the way that God sent to tell us that we were headed in the wrong direction. I've spoken with believers before who are making terrible decisions. And I'll ask, hasn't the Lord spoken to you about this? And they'll say, no, he hasn't said anything. And I've realized now after years that They believe that because the Lord has said a whole bunch to them. They've just gotten used to tuning it out. And now the Lord's still speaking and they can't even hear it because they've just tuned that frequency out. You say no over and over and over and over again, eventually it becomes nearly impossible to hear God because you tune him out. The ultimate example of this is is really Israel because the Bible tells us it's going to take the great tribulation to get them to turn back to the Lord. It's going to take two out of three Jews dying in the great tribulation to get them to turn back to the Lord. That's how far our stubbornness can go. That's how irrational and hardened we can become. Zechariah 13 talks about this. It's on your outlines. And the Lord says, I will bring the one-third, that remaining one-third of the Jews in the great tribulation, through the fire, underlined through the fire, and will refine them, underline refine them, as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. Underline call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. Underline the Lord is my God. This process of the Lord's discipline is going to result in Israel repenting by calling out to the Lord. And then he's going to answer them. And the relationship is going to be restored. It's the same thing the Lord does in our lives in order to produce the same results. Getting us to call out to him so that our relationship with him can be restored. And the Lord describes that whole process as being like the refining of silver and gold. The process of going through the fire. If you grew up in the church, you're very familiar with this analogy. The only way to purify, to refine precious metals like silver and gold is to heat them up. 
And once you heat them up, the metal becomes soft. But even when the metal's soft, the impurities are still in there. The metal won't give them up. They're still bonded to the precious metal. So you have to heat it up even more. In fact, you have to keep heating it up all the way until the metal melts into a liquid. And then under that immense heat pressure, the most incredible thing happens. The the pure silver, the pure gold rejects the impurities and spews them to the surface of the liquid. And the skilled metalsmith is able to scoop up the impurities and only the impurities and separate them from the precious metal, which having been purified can now be allowed to cool back down. That's what it looks like in our lives because sometimes the little hint doesn't work. Sometimes the direct command doesn't work. Sometimes a little bit of pressure doesn't work. Sometimes a lot of pressure doesn't work. Sometimes we have to be taken all the way to a breaking point before we'll separate ourselves from those things that don't belong in our lives. So write this down. Sometimes we won't let go of our sin until the heat becomes unbearable. That's often the truth. Why is God being so extreme with me? Because nothing else worked. We have to remember that Jonah didn't know how long he was going to be inside the great fish. He wasn't thinking, I only got to ride this thing out for three days. So after three days, not knowing how much longer it's going to go on, Jonah starts thinking, you know, I don't really want to starve to death slowly over weeks inside this great fish. And he cries out to the Lord in prayer. And sometimes what turns us around is not a moment of of spiritual clarity where we say, oh, I, I see it clearly now, Lord. All your ways are good. Sometimes what turns us around is that God just breaks us and our prayer is more like, you win, Lord. You win. Have you ever been there before? I've been there more than once. And I think that's what happened with Jonah. When you belong to the Lord, when you're one of his kids, there's really nothing he won't do in order to get you back when you're headed down the wrong path. When you're being deceived by sin and it has a grip on you, your heavenly father will do whatever it takes to break you free from that sin. We say this a lot around here, that God loves you enough to let the bottom fall out of your life if that's what it takes to get you back to him. He loves you enough to let that happen. For Jonah, it took three days and three nights being buried alive inside the belly of a great fish. Everybody has a breaking point. And when we run from God, he's willing to take us to that breaking point if that's what it takes. And let me just say, we would be wise to remember that. How far is God willing to go? All the way to your breaking point. Last week, we titled our study of chapter one, You Can't Outrun God. And now we see the reality in chapter 2 that you can't outlast God. His love isn't going anywhere. It's not going to quit. It will follow you anywhere. It's never going to get discouraged and it's never going to give up on you. What does 1 Corinthians 13 tell us about God's love? It says it endures all things and it never fails. It never fails. You can't outrun God and you can't outlast God. If an earthly mother or father never stops loving their child. How much do you think God loves his children? How far do you think he'll go? And if you're thinking, you know, I'll just ride this out. 
this season of discipline. Can't go on forever. I'll just ride this thing out. Let me ask you, how long did the Lord have the children of Israel wander around the wilderness in order to learn the lesson of faith? 40 years, 40 years, centuries later, when they began worshiping other gods, he sent them into exile in Babylon for how long? 70 years. You're not going to outlast God. He will do his work in you. He will grow you or it will kill you. He's going to keep drawing you and calling you to live a life that's going to result in you being blessed for eternity. He's never going to stop working toward that end in your life and mine. And you see, that's why this is such a big deal. This is why God will work for years, for decades if he needs to, because your eternity and mine is affected by how we live this life. That's why this matters. That's why he can't just leave us alone because this is going to matter forever. Write this down. Because our heavenly father loves us, he does everything possible to help us live the way that will benefit us most, now and in eternity. Now and in eternity eternity. You see, if you're a good earthly father and you have a kid and your kid tells you that he wants to invest in something you know is just the dumbest idea you've ever heard in your life. You know, somebody says, dad, you know, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to use all my savings, everything I've ever saved in my life. I'm going to invest in fidget spinners. And you'd say, you know, I kind of think that that wave is crested. I think You know, the trend is on the way down a little bit now, and I don't know that that's really a wise move with all your money. You would be a bad father if you didn't say that, having the knowledge you have, just like our heavenly father would be a bad father if he looked at our lives, saw us wasting our lives on things that are going to be worthless in the future, and didn't step in and say, hey, why don't you invest in wiser things? Why don't you invest your time, your talent, your treasure in wiser things that are going to benefit you for eternity? It's because he cares about us that he gets involved in our lives. This is why Psalm 94.12 says, Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law. Other translations will say, Blessed is the man whom you discipline and teach out of your law. So, broken Jonah finally prays in verse 2, and he said, I cried out to the Lord, then underline this, because of my affliction, and he answered me. Underline, because of my affliction, and he answered me. Here's what I love about this. It tells us plainly, Jonah tells us, that he's only crying out because of his affliction. He's only in this place of affliction because he's experiencing the discipline of the Lord because he rebelled against the Lord. And usually in these situations, when we realize we're experiencing the discipline of the Lord and we've grown distant from him, we don't really know how to restart the conversation with him, do we? Because we don't want to go straight to crying out to God about our problems because we don't want to seem like that person who only shows up when there's a problem and we need something. So we're trying to find the spiritual equivalent of of going to God and saying, so how are things? How have you been? Good, good. A small question, like we're going to segue into this lightly. So we tell ourselves, you know, I'll, I'll get a few good days of behaving myself and not rampantly sinning under my belt before I go to God. So, you know, there's been a turnaround. 
and I can at least say I'm trending up. Or we'll say, you know, I'll go to church for a few weeks and read my Bible every day, then I'll approach God because we'll be on cooler terms then. As though God doesn't see right through us into the depths of our heart and know exactly what's going on. That's why I love verse 2 so much, because Jonah just tells us, I cried out to the Lord. Why? Because I missed him? No. Because of my affliction. That's why he cried out to the Lord. I can't take it anymore. I, I just can't take it anymore. But look at the response Jonah gets. And he answered me. He answered me. You see, our Heavenly Father loves us so much. He's just glad when we come back and begin the conversation again. He's just glad the relationship is opening up again. So he doesn't do what we expect, which is point out what terrible children we are who never visit. He just says, son or daughter, I'm glad you're here. It's good to hear from you again. That's the character of our Heavenly Father. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that he loves you. And there's never a time when he's not glad to hear from you or not glad to see you. Write this down. Our Heavenly Father hears our prayers because we're his children. Because we're his children. He doesn't love us because we're good. He loves us because he's good. Jonah continues to pray and he says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and then underline again, and you heard my voice. Sheol is Hades in the Greek. It's the place of the dead, which is basically where Jonah was, being buried alive, so to speak. But by the way, parenthetically, as a point of interest for you Bible students, because Jonah mentions Sheol here, and in a couple of verses we'll see some other verbiage you might pick, on, pick up on, there are some Bible scholars who hold the position that Jonah actually died inside the great fish and was then resurrected as Lazarus was after three days. And they point out that this view would actually make the comparison that Jesus made between his death and resurrection and Jonah even more intensely accurate. I'm not going to take an emphatic stance on that position. Uh, I'm not really sure. I don't know that there's a way to know. It's just something interesting I thought you should be aware of, and you can dig into that more on your own time if you're so inclined. Verse 3, Jonah says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. And I was emphasizing you and your because Jonah acknowledges that everything that's happened, the storm and him ending up inside this great fish, is the result of God bringing his discipline into his life. He's not being unfairly persecuted here. It's because he chose to rebel against the Lord. And so the Lord has to step in, not to pay Jonah back for his rebellion, but to bring Jonah back from his rebellion. When you or I are in a storm of life that's been brought on by God to bring us back to him, it's not going to help if we pray, I bind up this storm in the name of Jesus. See, that doesn't work if Jesus is the one who sent the storm in the first place. As we said last week, when we're trying to figure out why we're in a storm in our lives, it's always wise for us to begin by examining ourselves and to see whether there's any area of our life where we are in willful rebellion against the Lord. 
And as we pointed out last week, even when there is, we'll usually say, yeah, but that's not it. That's it. That's exactly what it is. So always begin with the obvious. You know, you remember that marital skit video we showed with the nail in the head where the woman has the nail in the head and she's like, it just feels like there's this pressure and the husband's trying to tell her, I think it's the nail in your head. That's, that's how we are with sin as well. I'm sitting in this area. I know I'm in rebellion against the Lord. There's a storm in my life. I, I don't see any kind of connection. No, there's a connection. I promise there's a connection. Verse four, then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Sometimes what it takes to get us back to the Lord is a taste of what it's like to live without the Lord. Sometimes it's, it's hard living for the Lord, but you know what's harder than living for the Lord? Living without the Lord. And that's what Jonah's been experiencing for the past three days until he reached the point where he said, I I can't do this anymore. When we run from the Lord, it's always ultimately for the same reason. Make a note of this. We think we're missing out on something better than what he has for us. Isn't that the truth? When we're rebelling against the Lord in any area of our lives, the reason behind everything is always the same. We believe that by doing things God's way, we're missing out on something, that there's a better way, that our way will be more effective, it'll be faster, it'll bring us more pleasure, it'll produce the result we want. We believe that we're missing out on something by doing things God's way. And you know that's never true. One of the greatest myths is that living for the Lord means throwing away this life and only experiencing benefits in the next life. That's not true at all. Living for the Lord is the best way to live now. It's the best way to be motivated. It's the best way to have relationships. It's the best way to do family, to do marriage, to do work, everything. But you want to know how you know that you're not missing out when you choose to obey the Lord? It's because you've never met the believer who says, you know, I got to tell you, I wish I had gotten a few more really good years in living in rebellion against the Lord before I started following him seriously. I just wish I'd really gone for it a few more years and just gotten more rebellion out of my system and all the benefits that come along with that. You've never met that person. You know who you have met? You know whose testimony you have heard? is the believer who says, I wish... I'd gotten serious about living for the Lord sooner. Oh, the pain and the heartache and the damage and the hurt that I would have saved myself if I had started living for the Lord sooner. You hear that testimony all the time. You're not missing out by living for the Lord. On the contrary, Then Jonah prays, and I have this whole sentence underlined, yet I will look again toward your temple. Hope isn't found in trying to fix our problems ourselves. Hope is found in the presence of the Lord, in his temple, in his presence. Verse five, the waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head describing what it was like inside the belly of this great fish. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. So the idea is that when he's in the belly of this fish, Jonah can actually feel the great fish descending deeper into the ocean. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever, yet you have brought up my life from the pit. 
O Lord my God. Jonah knows that the Lord has heard him. He can feel in some tangible way that the presence of God has come to him. And I want you to start picking up on the verbiage because he's praying this, and we're going to talk about this more in a minute. He's praying this. Where is he when he's praying this? He's still in the belly of the fish, right? And yet he's saying, you have brought up my life from the pit. So he can feel the presence of God. Something has changed. Verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, underline, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Jonah had to get to this incredibly dark, low, near-death point before he remembered the Lord. Sometimes that's just what it takes to get us to repent. But the good news is this. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever is going on, if you're a child of God, you always have this one simple, glorious reason for hope. Whoever you are, whatever's going on, wherever you are. The unchanging hope of the believer is this truth. The Lord loves me. The Lord loves me. And as long as the Lord loves you, you're never without hope, ever. And he's always going to love you. Write that down. The Lord loves me. That's our great hope. Verse 8, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. In other words, those who look to false gods are forsaking the real help of the mercy of the true and living God. Verse 9, but I will sacrifice to you, underline, I will sacrifice to you, and then underline, with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed, and then underline, salvation is of the Lord. This is a huge, huge principle on display here. Jonah repents, and he begins to thank the Lord, it says, where? When he's still in the belly of the great fish. So write this down. Jonah begins thanking God for his deliverance while he's still inside the great fish. At that moment, Jonah only knows two things. Number one, the Lord has heard me. And number two, the Lord is with me. That's it. That's all he knows. He doesn't know how much longer he's going to be in this situation. He doesn't know how he's going to get out of it. But he knows the Lord has heard him. And he can feel that the Lord is with him. And those two things, on their own, without any other details, are enough reasons for Jonah to begin praising and thanking the Lord in advance for his coming deliverance. Christian, if you're not praying and praising that way, you need to change. This is not a personal style issue. This is a you need to change if you're not doing that kind of issue. You don't need to know when God's going to do it. You don't need to know how God's going to do it. You just need to know that God has heard you and he's with you and that's enough to start thanking him for it now. That's enough to start thanking him that he's still good and that you know when this whole situation is over, once again he will be proven to be good. Because that's all he ever is. Stop waiting to see if the God who never changes is still going to be good when this situation's over. Stop waiting to see if the God who never changes is going to be good when this situation is over. He is. He will be. And you know it. So start thanking him for it now in advance. You know he's heard you. You know he's with you. That's enough. And here it comes, verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish, 
and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Why isn't that illustration in kids' Bibles, right? That's a freebie right there. Jonah's alive. His life is spared. He's delivered. But you know what? It was messy. It was messy. Write this down. Deliverance can be a messy business. Deliverance can be a messy, messy business. Can you imagine the scene? Because here's what didn't happen. It's not like the whale cruises slowly halfway onto the beach and then its tongue extends like a horizontal escalator and Jonah comes out, you know, clean with not a drop on him. What happens is there's probably some fishermen around and they see this huge shadow moving under their boats and then close to shore, this whale breaches and vomits Jonah along with giant chunks of all kinds of other stuff out of his mouth, you know, and he, he scrambles up onto the beach, stands up, still knocking chunks of whale vomit off himself, looks at the fisherman and says, morning, morning. He's trying to get stuff out of his hair and you know what, it would have stunk for a while and and I'm not highlighting all of these details because it's ludicrously fun to do so, which it is. But I'm highlighting all this stuff because sometimes we believe and we think that we should be able to repent. And because the Lord has forgotten about our sin, everybody else should too. You ever encountered a believer like that? Try to talk with them about some of the mess they've made and they I don't want to hear it. The Lord's forgiven me. Lord's forgiven me. There's nothing else to talk about. That's not really how repentance works because sincere repentance, genuine repentance, still doesn't free us from the natural consequences of our sin. It doesn't free us from the damage we've caused to people in relationships. It doesn't free us from the emotional and mental scars that we may have inflicted upon ourselves and others. We're forgiven. We're delivered. But that process might be a little bit messy. And true repentance means being willing to do the work of getting those vomit chunks off of you. <laughs> repentance means, that's the last time I'm going to say vomit chunks, except for that time right there where I said vomit chunks. That was the last time I'm going to say vomit chunks. I promise. Okay. <laughs> repentance means being willing to do your best to restore what you've broken and take responsibility for your actions even if others won't forgive you. Genuine repentance means asking for forgiveness, even if they won't give it. It means apologizing, even if they tell you that you're not forgiven. It means doing everything you can to restore the damage that you've caused. Jonah was delivered, but it was messy. I'm going to wrap up with a psalm in just a minute, but in conclusion, let me say this. If you're experiencing the discipline of the Lord, don't get bitter get better. Let his discipline soften rather than harden your heart. And if you've reached that breaking point, but you haven't come to the Lord yet because you don't think he'll hear you or you're, you're trying to get yourself together a bit first or get a, a good streak going in your spiritual life, remember that the Lord hears you now and he'll respond to you now because you're his kid. You're his kid. That's the reason you can come to him in the first place. He's listening. He's waiting for you. And he's never not glad to hear from you. If you're a believer, Romans 8.28 promises that all things are working for your good. If you're running from the Lord, you're running away from what's good for you. 
If you're rebelling against the Lord, you're rebelling against what's good for you. And so the Lord will do whatever he needs to do in order to get you back to the place that is most good for you. And that place is in relationship with him, living for him. So if you're experiencing the discipline of the Lord right now, that's a good thing because God's trying to get you back to a good place, the best place in relationship with him. You can't outrun God. You can't outlast God. His love for you is greater. Greater than what? Anything. Anything. You can't outrun him and you can't outlast him. He loves you. Your heavenly father loves you. You know, I used to always read Psalm 139 and find comfort in knowing that whatever bad things happened to me, whatever bad things people did to me, the Lord would still be there with me. And, and through the years, I've changed to read it much more as a comfort that the Lord will be with me no matter what bad things I do or what foolish decisions I make or what dangerous places I go. And the longer you follow Jesus, the less you worry about what other people or what life may do to you, and the more seriously you take your own sin, you know, the dangers that lurk in your own heart. So with that in mind, let me encourage you by reading some of Psalm 139 to you. I'm going to ask that you just close your eyes at this point and just allow the Lord to minister to you through his word. I'll read this and then we'll pray. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You've hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. Father, thank you so much for your word, which tells us how you feel about us which teaches us that you are a father who has adopted us as sons and daughters into your family, that you've made us yours, that you've taken ownership of us so that our relationship with you is not based on anything we do, but on your adoption of us, your love for us. Thank you that our confidence in coming to you 
isn't because of anything we've done, but it's because of the position you've given us as your children. And so we can come in confidence knowing that you love us and we have a relationship with you that can never be severed. Father, I pray for for any among us who may be in a storm or, or in a dark place, a difficult time, because something has just got a hold on us. Father, I pray that you would bring freedom and that even if we've tuned out the voice of your spirit, that it would speak loudly and clearly this evening and that we would respond. We know that everything you do is good and everything you do is for our good. And so we recognize that any area of our lives where we're not walking with you, we're missing out on what's truly good. And we know it deep down, Lord. So in every area of life, may we belong to you, may we live for you, may we follow you wholeheartedly and experience the good life that's only found in you, Jesus. We're going to have a a time of worship beginning in just a moment. There's communion available in the back. I encourage all of you who love the Lord to take it and, and thank him for his love for you. Our highest goal in this coming time is that you would fellowship with the Lord. Forget about the person on your right and your left, that that you would thank him and praise him in advance if you're in a storm right now. If you're in a difficult time, that you would thank him and praise him in advance for being the God who never changes. All you need to know is that he's heard you and he's with you. If you're not in a difficult time, would you just praise him for all those difficult times he's already delivered you from? And thank him for the peace that he gives you, knowing that he'll be there next time as well. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says, The Gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.